Hello, Three Song Stories fan. In case you hadn't heard yet, our next live show is coming up on Monday, November 25th at 7 p.m. at the Palace Pub and Wine Bar in Cape Coral. We're going to sit down with local pub trivia quiz master and co-host of the No Nonsense Trivia podcast, Lee Brett Schneider. It's going to be good times, and we'll be followed by Lee's Trivia Night, which will be music and Three Song Stories themed. Also, we now have T-shirts for sale only at Nice Guys Pizza, which is basically across the street from the Palace. And please, please, please find us on on Instagram and or Facebook and rate us on iTunes or Podbean, etc. We love making this show, and if you love listening, please share the love. Now, the show. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that uses musical memories to bring out the storyteller and our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Patton Dodd. Patton works for the H.E. Butt Foundation in San Antonio, Texas, where he's creating an initiative that tells the multimedia stories about local inequity to try to change the narrative about why so much poverty exists and persists in San Antonio. He served as editor of multiple publications, including On Faith, a religion, news, and commentary publication that he spun off from the Washington Post. His writing on religion and American culture has been featured in the Post, the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Newsweek, TheAtlantic.com, CNN.com, and Christianity Today. Patton holds a doctorate in religion and literature from Boston University, and he's author of The Prayer Wheel, a daily guide to renewing your faith with a rediscovered spiritual practice, The Tebow Mystique, the faith and fans of football's most polarizing player, and My Faith So Far, a story of conversion and confusion. He came across our radar when my old buddy Milty, our guest on episode 31, told me he thought Pat would make a great guest, and I certainly trust Milty's judgment, so here we are. Hey there, Pat, and how you doing? Hey, I'm well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. We appreciate your time. Um, real quick before we get started, a mutual friend of mine told me that you re- recently discovered this amazing technology where they can grind glass into a certain shape and it will improve one's eyesight. Yeah, that's good. Another shout out to our neighbor, my neighbor, Milton, your old friend. And yeah, I was uh, looking at my phone at Milton's kitchen table maybe a month ago, and he was watching me look at my phone. And he slid glasses down the table at me and said, I think you might want to try these. And uh, turns out I don't just need readers. I need progressive lenses. And the eye doctor <laughs> told me I should have had them a long time ago. So Milt has changed my life. Oh, that's hilarious. And he reminded me of a story from high school where I was at his house one day and I got my shoes wet. So I had to put on a pair of his and they were a size smaller than what I thought I wore and they fit just perfectly. So (laughs) I've been wearing, my brother wore size 16 shoes. So I've been wearing size 12s for years before I realized I was an 11. So we've got that in common. Okay. So um, for starters, can you just talk a bit about your work at the uh, H.E. Butt Foundation? And am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Uh, So I oversee communications for the foundation, and uh, for a lot of the foundation's history, it has been focused on camps and retreats that it runs um, on a 2,000-acre property in the Texas Hill Country. There's five programs that use that that facility or that, uh, that land. Uh, but I'm part kind of a, a of a new era of the foundation that's growing uh, a community engagement uh, program focused on urban issues, and we're we're in San Antonio. And the work that I do mostly is, um, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm building this uh, what we call a narrative change project, where we use uh, you know we make media, we host events, we do in-person storytelling, immersion learning, 
all with the intention of helping people kind of rethink who their neighbor is in San Antonio, which is a city that has some of the most extreme uh, wealth disparity in the U.S. Hmm. And how long have you been there? Um, about four years, four and a half years. Okay. Uh, so let's get on to the, the music stuff. What was the musical background of your childhood, and where was that? I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, um, but I didn't really get much benefit of the Nashville music scene. My parents moved to Jackson, Tennessee when I was really little, and then and then Alabama, and I spent a lot of time in Mississippi, but we moved all around, California, Colorado, um, uh, and my parents were, uh, were Baptists, and I think that uh, most of my musical background is probably, you know, touched by or informed by their commitment to, to being Southern ba- good Southern Baptists, which meant that I was told that Christian music was the only option. Oh, when did secular music break in? Well, I had a sister who was five years older than I was. And so, uh, you know, once she got into high school and started rebelling by listening to, you know, Whitney Houston and, and that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, her, the music from her room, her room started to bleed into mine. So I had a lot of, you know, Christian rock in my early childhood, but then a lot of, you know, about uh, what, top 40 as well. About what era was that? Uh, I was born in 74, so my musical upbringing was, you know, the 80s. High school was the early 90s. Hmm. Um, if I say early musical memory, what pops into your head? Um, probably albums, uh, soundtracks like The Rescuers. Um, the Rescuers, other, like from the movie? Yeah, from the movie. Like we had uh, The Rescuers, we had, um, you know, Wizard of Oz and um, other kinds of, yeah, just movie soundtracks. That plus Christian music. So Sandy Patty, Petra. I don't know if these names mean anything to you. But yeah, they, they do to Richard. Yeah, and Petra does to me. They made it far enough to, to where okay. I heard of them. Uh, yeah. Did you guys listen to like uh, Gaither Vocal and things like that? A lot, yes, a lot of Gaither, a lot of the Imperials were yep. a really big deal in my house, yeah. Huh. Um, can you remember a time when you were young when music moved you emotionally or otherwise somehow that may have stuck with you? Um, I mean, you know, the, the church music was meaningful to me, you know, singing, singing the, I mean, you, one way or another, if you go to church every Sunday as a kid, you, you learn those hymns, and we went to churches that sang the old hymns by people like Isaac Watts and Fanny Crosby that were written in the 19th century, and um, you know, those good Southern Baptist hymns have hung around for a long time. They have a lot of power. Um, and then, and then, you know, when my sister started listening to, to top 40 music, I mean, um, like I said, Whitney Houston and, um, a lot of the just, you know, top eighties pop songs, Michael Jackson and Madonna. I mean, I loved that stuff and I ate it up. How about Millie Vanilli? Did you get some Millie Vanilli in there? Definitely Millie Vanilli. (laughs) I did a lot of dancing in my room by myself. Did you have parachute pants? I definitely had parachute pants and <laughs> swatches and Z Cavaricis, all that. Oh, uh, uh, yes. I have a, I have a question. Um, so we asked this of Caleb Neff, one of our previous uh, guests who had a similar um, musical history. Um, what is a band from, uh, let's say, mid-'80s to mid-'90s, um, you know, with, with the explosion of um, modern Christian music there, um, that you think uh, stood on its own uh, separate from its, you know, its demo as a, as a Christian band? Gosh, I'm going to sound cynical when I say that I really can't think of one. I mean, it just doesn't, like, the, seat, the Christian contemporary music that I loved, like White Heart and DeGarmo and Key and, you know, Petra, I've tried to go back and listen to mm-hmm. that music for its own merits, and it just sounds like Christian pop to me now. 
So I, I don't know that I can name one. All right. That's, well, that's an answer. All right. So, yeah, that tells us about where you're, where you're at musically today, which we'll get to in a little bit. But before we get to your first song, did you play any instruments when you were a kid or were there being instruments played around you? Nope. Well, we had a piano in the house. My sister played piano, um, and I, was, I, I had a few piano lessons with my grandmother who lived with us for a while, but mostly it was air guitar and air drums. How was music? As far as I got. How was music being played around you in the house? Did were they were your parents using any records? Was it coming through like radio stations? Yeah, I think it's probably mostly radio. I mean, we had a record player growing up. Uh, music in the car, I think, is probably what I remember more. You know, cassette tapes, maybe some eight tracks from my early childhood. Um, my family didn't have music playing in the house constantly, though. My sister played music, and then I really got into music and played music in my room on a boombox. But my parents weren't driving the music as much as my sister and I were. Did you get the boombox you wanted or the boombox that they gave you? No, I got a rad boombox. Oh, nice. I had to get the, Uh, like, Sears model that just didn't have it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I saved up or I don't remember how I acquired it, but I had a massive, you know, LL Cool J style boombox. And and I took it apart and found out that they were mostly empty inside. It was all for show. But, um, you know, they were light enough to carry on your shoulder. And that's I, and, I, and I did that. That's yeah. hilarious. You had the boombox I wanted. Um, did you ever make mixtapes? Um, yeah, sure. Especially in high school. I would listen to the top nine at nine on Magic FM and 98.9 and, uh, and yeah, record, record those on my cassettes and, yeah, turn them into mixtapes, especially for girls. Do you remember what may have been on the first mixtape you gave to a girl? I mean, I'm I, I'm sure it was probably a combination of uh, like early '90s R&B, you know, like Boys to Men, mm-hmm. um, and Bell Biv probably, pr- probably a little yes, exactly, and probably uh, also that mixed up with some Winger and Van Halen. I would go kind of go back and forth between in that era, glam rock and rap and R&B. And so none of the like the Petra stuff made it to the mixtapes, or did it? Um, I doubt it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Okay, let's let's get to your first song. Um, I, uh, this is uh, Creed by Rich Mullins. Yes. Um, uh, do you want to tell a story about it first? Do you want to listen to it so then we can hear the story through the lens of the song? Well, I'll. How about I just set it up by saying that this is a song that I discovered. Um, it's probably my freshman year of college, um, as I was kind of finding my my parents and my sister's religion in a in a really full way for the first time. Um, this song meant a lot to me at that moment, and then I can, t- yeah, I can say more about it after we hear it. Okay, let's hear it. Let's listen to it. Uh, this is Creed by Rich Mullins from his 1993 album, A Liturgy, A Legacy, and A Ragamuffin Band. So where's that one make you go? Well, first of all, I think I should take back what I said about Christian music of that era not standing up. Rich Mullins is the guy, I think. Um... Like that, you know, I think that even just lyrical content aside, like I was like, man, this song is banging. Like it just, it's full and it's, it's big. It's got movement it's in it, you know. That hammered dulcimer is I was going to ask if that's what, what, I, what, I, what we were hearing. I thought that's what yeah. it was. And it doesn't yes. sound, it doesn't sound like emblematic of, of pop Christian music. Like it, it doesn't sound dead on like everything else did. <laughs> I totally, totally agree. And I think, I mean, I haven't listened to a lot of his stuff in a long time, but I think 
my memory is that, you know, I just, I loved all his records and that they all sounded fresh and distinct from me from everything else, like in the Christian landscape at that time. Um, did you ever get to see him live? Nope, never did. No? No, I remember hearing that he always played barefoot um, and that he was, you know, pretty chill on stage. But no, I never got to see him live, unfortunately. And that song came out in 1993, so you would have been, what, like 17, 18? That's right. I turned 18 in, in 93. That was my senior year of high school. What, what, what kind of car was your first car? And what kind of stereo system did it have? <laughs> um, well, I only had borrowed cars Borrowed from my parents, borrowed from my sister. We didn't have we didn't have any money growing up. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't buy my first car until I was well into college, and and it was an '85 Jeep Wagoneer with like an AM FM radio. So, um, um, what, what what were they driving then? What would have been the car? Yeah, what would you been, been, What would you have been driving? Um, listening to that song, perhaps in. I think my sister had a Toyota Tercel that I drove a lot. It was a little red, I think two door Toyota Tercel. My parents had a Ford Taurus, also red. Um, so yeah, I borrowed both of those a lot for work and parties and whatever else. And, and, uh, that's, that's probably what I heard this in. Hmm. Although like the, my main memory of hearing this song in a car really is with my best friend, Brandon. He had a Jeep Wagoneer, a black Jeep Wagoneer, and we would drive around, um, on summer nights in Colorado. This is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And, you know, I just remember that the air in the summer in Colorado, especially at night is like kind of warm and cool at the same time. And we drive around with that song blasting and singing it at the top of our lungs. That sounds pretty good. Um, uh, does the music fit? Does, does, does his music fit into your life any today? You kind of alluded to maybe you hadn't listened to it for a while. Do you still listen to him, or is this a throwback? It's a throwback. Hmm. I mean, it's it, it it like captures like a moment in my life. Like that lasted for a few years, um, but it yeah reminds reminds me very distinctly of the way that I you know, thought and felt. So uh, what, what for, was the, describe what the pivot was that it's emblematic of? Well, you know, like I said, my parents were Southern Baptists. We went to church a lot, a lot when I was a kid, but kind of, um, you know, we, we weren't as consistent about that when I was in middle school and high school. My sister, who again, was five years older, was off at college. And while she was away, especially, I kind of was left on my own devices and just did a lot of partying in high school, just pretty typical, a lot of, you know, a lot of pot, a lot of drinking, a lot of girls. And my sister came back from college and she kind of knew I was up to no good. And she was back in the house and going to, she was a very fervent Christian and she kept inviting me to come to church with her. And I would go every now and then kind of to make her happy. But my freshman year of college, I stayed home in Colorado Springs. I went to a local school, University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. And at some point in my fall semester, I decided that I wanted to, you know, turn my life over uh, to Jesus. And so I sold sold what pot I had left, and I gave away my pipes. And you could have given that my, pot away, Patton. You know? <laughs> I know, I, I know. I committed a drug deal as my as my first <laughs> act of being a Christian. But I um, I told all my friends that I you know couldn't hang out with them anymore, and I got really super serious about church. I went to this big charismatic mega church, and I started listening to Christian music. And this album, this whole album by Rich Mullins, The Liturgy, Legacy, and a Ragamuffin Band, like Ragamuffin Band, meant a lot to me. And this song in particular, because it's so, it's just a declaration of faith. It's the apostles, you know, sort of built on the Apostles' Creed. I don't think I even knew that at the time. It's built on this, you know, old faith formulation from, you know, early centuries of the church, but 
to me, it was just this big, simple declaration um, of of faith of the Christian story, and I had I had decided to believe it and to embrace it. And um, this whole the the refrain in that song, "I did not make it; it is making me." Like that told hmm. me, like this is something that is outside of me and is true. I'm not making this up, um, but it's it's making me into who I am and who I want to be. And uh, yeah, it, it meant a lot to me. Hmm. Um, you got your doctorate in religion and literature from Boston University. What was your target at that point in your life with that degree? Um, you know, I when I went to Boston University to study religion, I thought it was going to be kind of the final dismantling of my faith. And we're going to get into this a little bit more later with other songs, but I, you know, I fell away for a while, or I questioned everything that I had believed when I was a freshman in college. And um, um, you know, there's a lot of intervening years. But by the time I went to BU in my mid to late 20s, I thought I'm just going to study religion academically. I'm passionate about it as a topic. I'm intellectually interested in it, but I didn't think I could ever believe anymore. Um, but I believe when I was in graduate school kind of the opposite happened. I kind of deconstructed it all, and then it got reconstructed in ways I didn't quite expect. Huh. Okay. Well, we'll, I, th- well I think that's a teaser for further into the episode. Okay. Um, um, uh, how do you play music these days mostly? Do you, you do you have records? Do you use Pandora? Do you have Alexa, like Milty? Um, I do. I do not have Alexa. I use uh, probably most of it. I would say probably 80% of it, 85% of Spotify. And um, and the rest of it is a record player. Uh, what was the last p- piece of music uh, that you bought that had physical form, like a record? I just bought Spoon's Greatest Hits album that came out a month or so ago. Um, I buy at least one record a month. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of my habit. I mean, I'm a member of this, you know, record club called Vinyl Me Please that sends you a record every month. And so I get their record, and sometimes I'll buy one additional record every month. Huh, interesting. Um, okay, uh, right before we get to your second song, do you remember the first music you owned back when you were a kid? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a Petra album. Um, shoot, I'm not remembering which Petra album it was. But, um, but yeah, my first tape. That was, was a, a cassette was, then, yeah. It was a cassette deck, and the reason I remember it is because we... My family moved from Alabama to California one summer, and we had a little, um, well, we had the boombox in the in the front of the U-Haw, and my sister and I would listen to that record, that Petra tape over and over and over again. Actually, no, we had a Walkman. We would trade the Walkman back and forth, taking turns, listening to that Petra album. I was going to say, the, the boombox, you would have gone through a whole lot of those big giant batteries. That's true. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Richard. Well, I was just going to ask... Um, Around when would that have been? 85. Uh, uh, Beat the System? Beat the System. Yeah. It was Beat the System, yes. Nice job, second brain, Richard. That's what we do. Okay, it's time for song number two, uh, uh, Fly from Heaven, Toad the Wet Sprocket, which a band, by the way, will always remind me of Milty. So um, do you want to tell a story or do you want to listen to it or how do you want to handle it? Well, um, maybe I'll just kind of, to finish off the first segment, say that, yeah, I had this kind of night and day embrace of, of faith and it became all that I, I was at church you know every time the church doors were open basically I was there for prayer groups and Bible studies and that was my freshman year of college and for my sophomore year of college I transferred um, to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa Oklahoma um, which is a school that kind of has like a Pentecostal you know theological tradition mm-hmm. and um, 
me and my, my best friend Brandon at the time that I mentioned went there together. Um, and so I think that's probably a setup for what happened while I was at ORU and, and came across this Toad the Wet Sprocket song. Okay, so you want to listen to it? Great. Okay, Fly From Heaven, uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket from their 1994 album Dulcinea. So um, when I went to Oral Roberts University and was one of the reasons that I wanted to go there my, for my sophomore year is that, and um, you know, I, as I said, I was trying to commit to a life of faith. Every now and then I would bump into my old high school friends and I would end up partying with them. And after a while I thought, you know what, I, I want to do this Jesus thing and the only way for me to do it is to be surrounded by nothing but other Christians. And so I better, you know, be at a school where that's possible. So I transferred to ORU and uh, one of the things that I did that a lot of my friends were doing then was got rid of all my secular music. Like all my Led Zeppelin and Billy Joel and all that, all those tapes, I, I, I gave some away, I burned some, I sold some. You burned some, like, like ceremonially? I mean, it was kind of like ironically, because I knew that that's what people thought like, right. fundamentalist Christians You were aware did. of the irony of it. Sort I of was indeed. Yeah. Okay. But it was kind of fun to set fire to some things. Well, sure. Like just some bad records, like Skid Row or something like that. But, <laughs> I, um, but I got rid of all my secular music and it was just trying to listen to Christian music and like praise and worship music. And um, I was at, I think I was at the mall and it was a, maybe there was an Empire Records or a Borders or something that I was in, and the new Toad the Wet Sprocket was out, which would have been Dulcinea, and I just stood at one of those, you know, listening stations, and I remember those, on. yes. Yeah, those were awesome, and, and I, yeah, I heard this song, and I was like, dang it, I love, I love Toad the Wet Sprocket, like, how can I not have this album? And so I allowed myself, like, I gave myself one, like, permission to have one secular CD, and it was Toad the Wet Sprocket Dulcinea. And, um, and I would listen to it in my dorm room and I wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics, uh, for a while, but kind of, I think unrelated to this story during my, my first or second semester at ORU, I also started to really question what I believed. I had this like, you know, this really dramatic conversion experience. Um, but after a year, year and a half, I began to encounter doubts the way that people do. I started to question the veracity of, you know, the scriptures and some of the stories that I was reading there. And, and, you know, um, uh, I just began to be filled with a lot of questions about, about what I believed. And that was mostly private. I was mostly just keeping it to myself. Um, and then I don't remember when exactly, but one day I was listening to this song and I started to pay attention to the lyrics and I realized, though, this is a religious song. Like, this is, like, this Paul is making me nervous. Yeah. Which is how this starts. It's uh -huh. about the Apostle Paul. And, um, you know, walk into this room and swaggers like he's God's own messenger. I mean, that was Paul's claim, is that he was God's messenger. And I began to realize that this is a song about questioning, you know, and about doubt. And it kind of gave me you know, access to that, you know, kind of gave me a way to to explore the doubts, um, the doubts that I was experiencing. And it was like not, um, I have to say like a neutral, you know, intellectual exercise. It was a crushing blow for me to feel like I might not believe this thing that I really wanted to believe. Um, and so for better or worse, you know, this Toad the Wet Sprocket song kind of helped me sit in that tension. Huh. Was there other secular music being played there at ORU or were you an outlier with, with Toad the Wet Sprocket, think... which wasn't that far out? 
I bet I was probably an outlier in my fundamentalism, actually. Like, I think there were more normal people oh, at ORU understood. who, like, had balance, you know, you know? but I, I guess I was prone to extremes in my youth. So I was either going to be a hardcore fundamentalist or I was going to be uh, an agnostic or atheist. And that's, those are the poles that I was swinging back and forth between. So how long were you there before you went, or what happened next in terms of your academia? I mean, did you finish your degree there? I was just there for a year. Oh, I mean, okay. I, by the second semester, I had decided, I don't think I can believe this, or at least I can't believe it here. And I, I left Tulsa and went to Fort Collins, Colorado. I finished my degree at Colorado State University. Uh, and then, then you went to Boston. Uh, well, after I after I graduated from from college, I I went to I went back to Colorado Springs for a few years. Oh, I see. It wasn't a straight line. It was not a straight line, though. No. Um, 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 how did you get into media? Was that always a plan, or did that just how it turned out? You know, I um, it, no, it was definitely a circuitous journey. Like I I I was always interested in in writing um, and in in like movie criticism, especially. I was always trying to pitch film reviews to magazines like in college and after college and I did some of that I was doing some movie reviewing for like a local paper for a while after college um I thought I was going to be an academic but while I was in graduate school I think I kind of discovered I'm I think I'm I'm more of a writer editor than I am an academic so I finished my PhD and I taught for a while but the whole time I was in graduate school I was pitching stories to to publications you know about like religion and public life it was just always a, you know, writing for a general audience about those issues was just always something that I wanted to do. Can you remember any music, uh, movie reviews that you, you know, that stuck out in your memory of having written? Oh, sure. I mean, so the main, the main years I was writing movie reviews was probably like 2000 to 2002. So I reviewed like AI. Uh-huh. Um, I reviewed Lara Croft Tomb Raider. I reviewed Rushmore. Ah. Um, what did you think of Rushmore? How did your review characterize it? Oh, my gosh. I, I adored that movie. I remember laughing gleefully in that movie just because I was so happy that it was happening. Uh-huh. I, just, I just I loved the kind of creative space that it existed in. Cheers yeah. to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, did you ever see Toad the Wet Sprocket live? I did a couple times. Oh, cool. Uh, do you see much live music these days? Yes. Um, now, I mean, my wife and I, one of the things that we share is a love of concerts. So we, we get to a handful of concerts a year. We have three kids, so it's a little harder than it used to be. But we, you know, now we're doing it as a family. In fact, we just, we just um, this year, I mean, we have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And um, so as the, especially the older two have gotten older, we've started to take them to shows. And we've had some family concert experiences this year. Huh. Last one that you had, what, do you, what would you have seen? Uh, as a family, the last one... Uh, well, my wife and I saw the National probably a month ago. Oh, cool! And the month before that, um, the my my wife and I and our two oldest kids went to go see Vampire Weekend. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little later. Um, yeah. uh, do any of your kids play any musical instruments? My son, uh, who is a seventh grader, is um, a percussionist. He plays the xylophone right now for the school band, and um, and is always drumming on something, the table in front of him or whatever. He's thinking about becoming a drummer. Oh, okay. Um, have they introduced you guys to any music? Um, the Wallows is a band that I did quite a bit that I think my daughter introduced me to. Um, and let's see. I could probably think of 
two or three more, and I'm gonna my my, my kids are gonna give me crap that I can't think of them right now. Understood. That's, yeah, that's fine. They, I totally get it. Yeah, um, they have they have though. Um, are there any mainstream bands that are just fully in the mainstream or act, you know performers that you guys are into? Um, is Kanye does Kanye count? I think Kanye counts. Yes. I mean, the Dodd family is digging the Jesus is Lord. Like oh, okay, we were, that's the new one, right? Yeah, that's playing in the kitchen every night right now. So, yeah. Uh, are you a singer? <laughs> no, no. Uh, not at all. Not even like on your in own the time? car, in like the, in, in the, the car? car by myself, and at concerts, like sort of sing shouting. Uh, in the car with your kids? Um, yeah, sure. Like, like, like we were all really into the Hamilton soundtrack for uh-huh. you know a, a while there, and and we would sing sing that together. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll sing in my, I'll sing with my kids, and I'll sing by myself in the car. But I, you know, never for performance. Do you? So, how about karaoke? Maybe a hard no. I've no, I've done some karaoke. Like, it, you know, I need, I need sort of some liquid encouragement to get there. But I can, I've had some fun karaoke nights. What would be your go-to? Like, if if, if you were, you knew you were going to karaoke, and you're like, okay, I'm going to have to do at least one. What would be a song that you would aim for? Um. It's something by Journey for sure. Oh like, wow, that's bold for someone who claims not to sing. I mean, the, my karaoke memories that I have, I think, mostly involve Journey. <laughs> so that's why I went there. Yeah. Do you have any TV theme songs committed to memory that you'd sing with us right now? <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh, um, I'm drawing a blank. I think I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you sure? If you want to name one, I mean, if you want to name one that you think is, you know, reliable, I don't know. Well, today I, today is the day after Halloween. We could do the Adams Family. I don't really know the Adams Family. Oh. In fact, I was just talking. Oh. I think it was talking to maybe Milt last night about how the Adams Family and the Munsters are. Or, I don't know. Those weren't. Were not on my radar. That's the Munsters. And what about that's Adams Family? Let's see. Cheers. Sure. Cheers. Yeah. Um, if you get it, if you get it started, I can probably get there. Well, I think I can do that for you. Give me just uh, three seconds. <laughs> Richard's got a YouTube. I keep one open for all of these guys. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. Making your way in the world today. Everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Oh my gosh! All those oh, it's the long version. Yeah, yeah. This is like this is like the, the, the remix. It's the actual song. <laughs> I think we did plenty yeah. of damage. <laughs> no, well done. You uh, for not singing, you sang pretty good. Um, what about dancing? <laughs> Uh, kind of the same. I mean, I, I've danced countless hours alone in my room, and I will definitely dance in concerts. But, you know, it mostly involves jumping, um, but I will dance in concerts, and then I used to dance in church. I mean, like I said before, I went to this big charismatic mega church, and we danced during worship, and I used to dance my butt off in worship. Um, uh, when you were dancing in your room, were you, like, freestyling, or were you, like, doing routines? Were you looking in the mirror? Let's go a little bit further into that. Uh, um... <laughs> I remember a lot of headbanging, you know. Um, oh, so you were you did you had a metal era? I mean, I liked it all. I would do. I would. I I loved L Cool J and I loved like NWA. So I would do. You know, I had a, I had a big rap thing happening, but I also liked you know heavy metal. So all of it. We're, and I probably like you know George Michael 
had a big George Michael phase. Like yeah, but you're not talking teens. about the dancing. Like, what kind of dancing? <laughs> I just think, I mean, I guess if you imagine the videos and any of those songs, that's probably what I was trying to do. Understood, understood. Um, uh, okay, it's time for your, uh, your last song. Uh, what do you want to do? I want to do uh, Vampire Weekend, Yah, Hey. Okay, do you want to tell a story at all, or do you want to listen to it? I think this song is going to bring together... You know, the the discovery of faith and then the loss of faith, I think, kind of get married in this song for me. All right, let's listen to it. By the way, this is, I think, the third time we've had a song repeat from a previous guest. Um, our former All Things Considered host, who's now in Nashville as the Morning Edition host, Rachel Iacovoni, uh picked this song. And if you're listening, Rachel, hi, and we miss you and we're proud of you. Um, okay, so let's listen to it. This is Yah Hey by Vampire Weekend from their 2013 album, Modern Vampires of the City. What's that make you feel and think about? Oh, man, I love that song. There's so much going on there. Um, and it it makes me think about the summer of 2014. I was um, running a publication called On Faith, which was this religion news and commentary publication. And I was in New York City in this co-working space um, with my colleagues, um, and we were working on a feature about uh, the the best kind of spiritual rock of all time. We had asked a bunch of people to like nominate um, their favorite rock album or, you know, like not, not explicitly Christian, but like an album that has like spiritual themes to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so people were nominating, you know, U2 and Bob Dylan and all this kind of stuff. But one of my interns was like, you know, that last Vampire Weekend album that just came out a few months ago has got all kinds of religion in it. And I had been listening to it, but not really paying attention. And so I put it on and was listening to it in my headphones. And this song just like ripped me apart because um, it is, it seems to me to be kind of like faith forward in a way, like long, like very honest about longing for faith while also very honest about doubt. And, um, and you know, Yahweh is this play on Yahweh, which is the name of God, uh, one of the names for God in the Old Testament. And it's rooted in this story of, you know, Moses and the burning bush. And, um, and it, um, I, I, it, like it, it put me, uh, it, it, I remember being in the office that day and reflecting on just this amazing writing ability of Ezra Koenig to, you know, to like foreground this, this, uh, this old story of Moses from Exodus of the burning bush and God calling to him from the burning, burning bush and Moses asking at one point in that story, who do I tell people you are? Like, you're sending me to go, like, free the Israelites from Egypt. Who do I tell them has sent me? And God says, you know, tell them I am that I am, um, which is kind of a non-answer, or it's just a strange answer or a mysterious answer. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, you know, it's not being clear about it's the identity en- enigmatic. of this being. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that story can produce awe, and it can produce frustration, and it can be that answer can be read as, you know, again, sort of um, awesome and otherworldly, but can also be read as distancing. And I feel like Ezra Koenig kind of puts all those things together. And for me, I was like, this is like the story of my whole journey. Like I, I ha- I've had faith, I've had very simple piety, I've lost it, and I've longed for it. And all those things kind of come together in this song in a way that I really appreciate. When you said you saw them recently, did they play that? And if so, what was that like? 
Oh my gosh, yes. So for for weeks, maybe months before the concert, I was like haunting their set lists every night from their from their tour to see if they were playing Yahe. My family knows and many of my friends know this is my favorite Vampire Weekend song. I've talked about it a lot. I've told my kids this you know, this story and, and the sort of biblical subtext of this story and gotten very nerdy with them about it. And so they weren't playing it every night of this tour. And I was really worried they weren't going to play it when I saw them. They played in Austin and they had two nights in Austin. And the first night in Austin, they did not play Yahe. And so I was like, does that make it more likely they're going to play? Because yeah. sometimes they weren't playing. I was trying to put together patterns in the set <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah. And I couldn't really find one. Looking for a, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so um, anyway, I was like, we on the way up there, I was like, tell my family, I'm not going to be disappointed if they don't play it. It'll be okay. But we had never seen them before. So like, we kind of had a lot, lighting, a lot riding on this, um, on this evening. Um, and anyway, yeah, they, uh, just before their, um, their like, kind of the end of the show, as Koenig mentioned, that the first time they ever played Yahey was in Austin, um, however, six years before. Um, and then, yeah, they played it as their closer. And it was so, it's so big live, like it just opens up. And I, I can just, imagine, yeah. Yes, it thumps really hard, and, and it felt like, and everyone's, the whole audience is singing really loud, and it kind of, it feels like worship and something else kind of all at the same time. And I was weeping, like it, I just wanted to curl, curl into a ball after it was over. It just wrecked me. Wow, and you're and you were you're there with your family too. I was, and yes, so they all they all got to share that moment. Yep, they sure did, and they were all like I could see them all looking at me out of the corner of my eye. They all knew this means so much to dad, you know, or for my wife to 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 my husband, and yeah, it was it was really fun. Yeah, uh, isn't that great sharing art love with your family and your kids? Yeah, there's it's fantastic. I hope we get to do a lot more of it. Um, uh, what was your process for choosing these three songs, or was it fairly straightforward to come to these three? It wasn't straightforward. I mean, I, th- I think I could have gone in lots of different directions. I thought about just doing rap. Um, I really love rap. I still listen to a lot of rap, and that would have been a way to go. Um, I love Bob Dylan. I could just hang out in Bob Dylan. I could also just do like, you know, the Scorpions and Foreigner and like other <laughs> like hair metal bands. I love that music too. So I don't know. There's a lot of different ways uh, that this could have gone. Um, I thought about also just doing Sturgill Simpson, who I adore. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, the story of like kind of my spiritual life, my wrestling with, with faith. Um, you know, having it, losing it, kind of putting it back together in a new way is probably, you know, one of the most important stories in my life. And music was a big part of that story. So it felt like a, a good place to land. Seems like you're a sort of a writer at heart. Um, have you written any fiction or poetry in your days? Um, yes, but only like tinkering. I um, never really I tried hard to put it out there. I haven't. I've always told people that I respect novelists and poets too much to... To, to think that I can do it. Like, I'm, I'm sort of intimidated by that, by that art form. Hmm. Um, if you could learn any instrument instantly, which would you pick? Without having to, um, you know, put in the time, just could get it like the Matrix. Yeah, definitely the guitar. Acoustic? Probably play some, play ele- some electric. Probably electric, yeah. Um, if you were going to start a band, what kind of band would it be, and what, you know, member would you be? Same thing, you don't have to, like, you just get to do it. Yeah, I think I would be, like, yeah, the lead guitarist for a band kind of like Wilco. It ah, just, like, nice. lasts a really long time and, 
you know, does different stuff in their music over time and then has these concerts where they like sort of reconstruct the songs in front of you and then Niels Klein hangs out in them in his amazing guitar for two minutes in an interlude and I love watching that and I'd love to be one of those guys. Awesome. Uh, are there any bands or musicians that you are really into that most of our listeners would not be familiar with that you want to give a shout out to? My f uh, one of the things I'm spending a lot of time listening to right now is a is a uh, a band that calls themselves a boy band. They're called Brockhampton, and they're like kind of like Wu Tang Clan. Like they're a they're a rap group. Uh, there were I think like 15 of them. Now they're down to like 12 or 13. Um, they're from San Marcos, Texas, but now they live in um, L.A. And they have a new album um, whose name I'm forgetting, but it just came out a couple months ago. Um, oh, it's called Ginger. And they're fascinating. They are. They are. They come from wildly different backgrounds, ethnicities, and um, and they're very like um, upfront about the you know different backgrounds they come from, different you know sexual orientations, all that kind of stuff. It's all part of their music in, in a way that I find really beautiful. Um, so Brockhampton is fantastic. Good answer. Um, do you have a favorite band of all time? And if you don't have a favorite, do you have a band you've probably listened to the most of all time? Um. Wilco and the National probably dominate my recently played lists in Spotify more than any other bands. It probably used to be Dylan for a really long time, but the last probably 10 or so years, it's probably a, a, a battle between Wilco and the National. Which Dylan album have you listened to most? Blood on the Tracks. Oh, yeah, me too. Thank you. Okay. It's the I could just listen to Blood on the Tracks time. and feel like I'm getting all the Dylan I need. <laughs> I, yes, yes, I totally get that. More blood, more tracks, which was the bootleg that came out. I think last year, the year before. Yeah, yeah, is fantastic too. Um, um, an album you would pick if you can only listen to one uh, again forever. Pro we probably just named it. I think I think blood on the tracks is my is my go to. Uh, what would your fourteen year old self think of who you are today? As what a forty three year old. In terms of music? No, just, just in terms of personhood and life and stuff, what you've done, where you've been, where you're heading. Um, the amount of time, I mean, I don't like exactly write for a living, but I do a lot of writing in my job. And um, I think my 14-year-old self would be very glad to know that that was going to be possible for me and probably also be glad to know that I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. Huh, good answer. Would your 14-year-old self wish you had written more fiction or poetry at this point? Definitely. Oh, yeah. You might listen to your 14 year old I, self. <laughs> you know, I will say that like, and I almost said this a minute ago, like I, I do, I do write journalism and I love literary journalism. That's probably my favorite genre of writing. And I, and I do, I have tried my hand at like doing fiction forms in nonfiction. Um, Understood. So yeah. that might be like a get out of jail card for your question because okay. I do think that counts. Uh, can you recommend three people who you'll share this podcast with who you also think would make good guests if they would be willing? Yeah, I can name 30, but um, I'll, I'll, the, some of the people who come to mind are Daniel Burke, who is a, um, a religion editor for CNN um, and a music nerd. Uh, Anuma Okoro, who's another writer friend of mine. I think she's in, a writer in residence somewhere in Italy right now. She lives kind of all over the world. She's Nigerian-American, and um, I think she would be fascinating. Um, and then my friend B.J. Strouser, who was a philosopher, 
um, at the Postgraduate Naval Academy in Monterey, California. Okay. And uh, a music aficionado, lover of music. We fight about music. We have, don't always have the same taste, but we love some things together. And he's passionate and fun to listen to talk. So he'd be great here as well. Okay. Well, once this comes out, you can tag them on Facebook or whatnot and get their attention and maybe they'll do it and we'll get you them in it. the studio somewhere. Um, uh, okay. Uh, uh, are there any songs that you'll always avoid listening to if they come up on the radio because if they either the the style or the sound or the memory anything by imagine dragons okay gets turned off I hate imagine dragons it's like an algorithm you know what i mean <laughs> that, uh, that's what? the best way i can put it it's just there's something about it that's like it's like a mad lib band or something i don't know yeah i mean i'm shouting that out to my family in part because we all hate imagine dragons okay it, so <laughs> Uh, so, okay, anything by Imagine Dragons. Okay, uh, real quick, before I ask you if you have any final thoughts, I just want to say thanks to Texas Public Radio's KSTX uh, there in San Antonio and our engineer, Ruben Garcia, for the remote assistance. Yes, uh, yes. That's, that's all we've got here, Pat. And so do you have any final thoughts before we say goodbye? This is super fun. I'm glad you guys are doing this. Um, thanks for having me on. Okay, uh, I look forward to meeting you in person someday. Same. All right, bye. Bye-bye. We make three song stories in the WGCU studios at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes host. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Remember, please find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and rate us on iTunes. If you want to see how we record the show, you can do just that during our next live event on Monday, November 25th at 7 p.m. That's at the Palace Pub and Wine Bar in Cape Coral. Our guest is local pub trivia quiz master and co-host of the No Nonsense Trivia Podcast, Lee Brett Schneider. We hope to see you there. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to track four from Moxie Fruvis's debut album, Bargainville. It's the song Video Bargainville. I'm bringing it up because of all things Disney launching its new streaming service. To me, it's starting to feel like maybe we've reached peak streaming service, or as the Fruvis fellas said in the final verse of this song, we which is all about how people need to show some love to their video stores because eventually they're going to go away. This was recorded in 1992. Soon there will be program your own TV, so they ask you to heed this final plea. Before it's all dead, you should rent more and enjoy video bargains galore. So yeah, this is Video Bargainville by the one and only Toronto-based folk rockish goofball but also pretty on point and deep band Moxie Fruvis. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. How was the chicken received? Uh, She was a hit. Probably more popular than I was.